Well, I've received quite a few spam phone calls lately. Have you been getting these? I get almost two a day. It's like ridiculous. I don't know who got my number and is sharing it. But it always happens this way. Unknown number calls and, and I pick it up because it could be one of you. And maybe it's an, an urgent request. And so I've got to be available for my sheep. And so I pick up the, the phone. I say, hello? They say, hello, is this Mr. Maitland? Yes, it is. Oh, well, I am blank from blank, and I, I'm calling because burp, every time. To do that, you'll need to be online. <laughs> They're listening. That's how they got my phone number. I always hang up. I hear that line and, and hang up right away. I know it's a solicitor at that point, right? You, you can hear it in the first sentence. They want something from you. They want your vote. They want your money. They want your social security. They want the shirt off your back. They'll take anything they can get. They're calling because they want something. You can tell their ulterior motive in that first line, and, and every time I just boop, hang, on up, hang up on them right away. Sorry if you're a solicitor in the room today. <laughs> and you've called 951. No, I'm just kidding. I was thinking as I was preparing for this message, how many prayers do you think uh, that you've sent to heaven that God has just hung up on? Burp. How many spam calls do you send to heaven? What I mean by that is how many insincere, pride-filled, ulterior-motivated prayers do you send to heaven? Prayers where you're trying to impress others, not really talk to God. Prayers where you just kind of say the same thing over and over because you feel like it's the right thing, but you're not engaging your mind with what you're saying. It's kind of mindless. Isn't that similar to the spam phone call that you get? Listen to these verses. Consider them. Job 35, 12-13 says this, There they cry out, but he doesn't answer. Because of the pride of evil men, surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. Psalm 66.18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Proverbs 28.9, if one turns away his ear from hearing God's law, even his prayer is an abomination. If you will not hear and obey God's word, then don't expect that you can walk into his throne room and talk to him freely. How many of your prayers are really motivated by pride to be seen, to be recognized, to impress people around you? Or how many of your prayers are hindered by sin? God doesn't hear them. He hangs up. And He knows because He can see your heart. Even prayer, of all the religious activities, we think about the purity of sincere prayer, but even prayer can be tarnished and stained by our sin and by sinful motives. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes about the sinister and subtle nature of sin. 
that it would even dare come with us into the presence of God. We need to remember, as George Mueller puts it so simply, a man of prayer, he said, when we pray, we speak to God. Think about that. When we pray, we speak to God. You're not performing for men. You're not mindlessly throwing words at heaven. You walk into the very presence of your heavenly Father, and the motive of your heart matters when you talk to Him. So let me ask you, what is the heart of your prayers? What motivates you to get on your knees before God? Jesus shows the difference between the prayers that please men and the prayers that please God in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. So if you're not there already, you can open your Bibles to Matthew 6, and we are going to look at just, as, just verses 5 through 8, the heart of prayer this morning. And in this passage, Jesus makes two comparisons. You'll see it in the text. Two comparisons. The first comparison is between the performance prayer of the hypocrite and the private prayer of God's children. So the performance prayer and private prayer. And then the second comparison is between the mindless prayer of the pagans and the sincere prayer prayer of God's children. Mindless prayer versus sincere prayer. Let's look at these two comparisons as we walk through the text. The first point in your outline, performance prayer versus private prayer. Performance prayer versus private prayer. Look down at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Does that sound familiar? We learned about the hypocrites last week. These are the play actors, the fakers, the pretenders of religion. He says, you must not be like them. Look down at the text. For they love to stand and pray. Well, of course they do. They love to stand and pray. They love to stand so that they may be seen. Now, it's not wrong to stand and pray. But it depends on your motive, right? Their motive, as you'll see later in verse 5, is that they may be seen by others. That's why they stand and pray. And where do they stand? Look back down at the text. They stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. They're trying to impress the pious, the religious, and the public with their prayers. Now again, it's not necessarily wrong to pray in the synagogue or to pray even at the street corner. But it is wrong to do that, look down at the text, that they may be seen by others. There's the motive of their prayers. They want to impress. They want to draw attention to themselves. They have the same goal as the street performers that you see out on the street corners, juggling or dancing. They might as well stop praying in that moment and start juggling or dancing because they have the same motive. They want to be seen. They want to draw attention to themselves. And think about this. The hypocrite draws attention to himself while talking to God. I'm going to say that again. It's wild to say this out loud. 
The hypocrite draws attention to himself while he's talking to God. Think about this. A person enters the throne room of heaven, and as they're talking to the king on the throne, they're simultaneously trying to push him off his seat so that they can be the center of attention. This is blasphemy. This is horrific. That we would take something as pure as sincere prayer, speaking to our Heavenly Father, and use it to draw attention to ourselves. And it's not just the hypocrite out there. It's often us in here, is it not? We are guilty of this motive sometimes. Are you guilty of this motive? Have you prayed to draw attention to yourself, maybe in a small group context, in front of the church, even at the dinner table? Praying to be seen by others. Do you pray in places and at times to be noticed? Do you want to impress people with your eloquent, elongated, emotional, theologically dense and robust prayers? Are you careful with your words because you speak to God or are you careful with your words because you're speaking in front of men? When your motive is to please men, when your sights are set on impressing others around you, in reality, you're not speaking to God at all. You're talking to yourself and to others around you and using prayer as a means to draw attention to yourself. Jesus says, look down at the text, that if your aim is to be seen by others, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When your aim is that you would be seen, you not only forfeit the ear of heaven, you forfeit the reward of heaven. Your reward stays on earth. Remember, Jesus, this this is an indictment. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. It's not like, congratulations, this is good. No, that's bad. That means your reward ends on the earth. Whatever the world can give you, they can give you, but God's not going to give you anything more. Remember when Jesus said in, in verse 1, He said, beware. Warning, tread carefully. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. If your prayers are for men, you're not going to get anything but a dial tone from heaven. He's not listening. He's not interested in your charade, your eloquent speech. He wants your heart. And listen, He's not going to share it with men. He wants your heart. He's not going to share it with men. Don't be like the hypocrite. Don't pray to be seen or heard by others. God doesn't listen to those prayers. But what kind of prayers is He present in? What kind of prayers does He see and does He listen to? Look at the second part of this, the comparison in verse 6. This is private prayer. So the private prayer part. Verse 6, But when you pray... Let's pause, and let me ask you the simple question. Do you pray? Jesus is assuming that you do. He says, but when you pray. 
Not if. When. Do you pray? I'm concerned that many that call themselves Christians don't. In a distracted, in a busy and an anxious culture, many do not even pray. Is it a habit in your life? Does it make your calendar, along with your earthly meetings, appointments, phone calls? Let's assess your vitals. Your vitals for, for your spiritual health, your, your spiritual condition. Will we find the pulse of prayer in your life? I can tell you right now. Let me clear this up for you. If you pray only at the dinner table in that church in front of people, then you're verse 5. The hypocrite. You don't know a God that you don't speak to. Do you pray? Do you pray? Jesus says, when you pray. When you pray. Assuming that you do. He says, go into your room and shut the door. This is to remove distractions. Okay? Sometimes you have to do this mentally if you know, you're praying in public. Again, it's not necessarily wrong to play, pray in the church or to pray in a small group. And so, but mentally, you've got to remove those distractions. Sometimes, though, you physically, and you should, go into a room or a quiet place and get physically away from people. Jesus did this. It doesn't have to be a room. It could be a desolate place like the Lord Jesus. Look at, look at the example of Jesus here. All these passages. Mark 1.35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Jesus got away and prayed privately with his Father. Luke 5.16. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That reveals habit. Jesus is doing this. He was known. The disciples knew, oh, there the Lord goes, away to pray to his Father. I love this example, Mark's, Mark chapter 6, 45 to 46. This is really cool. It says, immediately he made, that word is forced, he forced his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. It's almost like Jesus was saying, all you got to get out of here because I need to go away and pray. I need to be alone. Jesus practiced what he preached. He doesn't call us to do something that he himself was unwilling to do. He got away from people sometimes, got away from distractions to be alone with God. That's so important. So important. And again, there's a way to do this even when you pray in public. To remove the audience and to focus on the only audience, the true audience, the audience of one, your Father. So that's the second part of this. You need to remove distractions and then focus on your Father. Look at the text. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. Jesus brings us back to the essence of prayer. You are speaking to your heavenly Father. He is the focal point of your attention. Now, I went to a pastor's conference, and I saw a pastor friend that I had known from the past, and 
I was excited to see him from across the courtyard, and so I rushed over, said hi, and, you know, after the pleasantries, and I started asking him questions about his ministry, and I noticed as he was talking to me that he was looking over my shoulder. He kept glancing over my shoulder. Has, has somebody done this to you? Have you been in this? And aren't some of us guilty of doing this to other people, right, if we're honest? So he was talking to me, but he was really looking at someone else. Finally, I said, dude, it's so obvious. Who are you looking at? Who are you looking at? And there about 10 feet away was Paul Washer, right? Celebrity preacher pastor. He was really focused on Paul Washer. Excited to see this, you know, legendary preacher. And while he was talking, conversating with me, how often do you do that with God? How often are you speaking to God or talking to God in prayer, but proverbially looking over his shoulder, metaphorically, and focused and paying attention really to someone else. When you pray, you pray to your Father. Your attention is focused undividedly on Him. He is your audience. And I love that Jesus reminds us that He is our Father. Our benevolent, good, loving, merciful, gracious, creator, sovereign, Father. I mean, is there any more, one more important on your social ladder? Anyone worth talking to more than your heavenly Father? This should drive us to our knees, push us into the prayer closet. We get to speak to our Father. The One who chose you before the foundation of the world, set His love upon you. The one who adopted you into His family and declared you to be His child. The one who redeemed you through the blood of His Son, His precious Son, Jesus Christ. The one who keeps His promises, prepares for you an inheritance, and seals you up for that day when you acquire possession of it. This is the Father that you talk to in prayer. Jesus isn't telling you to go talk to a stranger. He says, go into a private place, walk into God's office, and speak freely to your Father. What a privilege. What a joy. I was talking to Keith before the service, and he just mentioned those two words. It's a privilege and a joy that we can enter into the throne room of God and speak freely. He is our Father. And listen, despite maybe the reality that you had a bad father in this life. Maybe your father abandoned you. He left you when you were young. Maybe you never knew him. Maybe he was a bad father, you know, abusive or neglecting or, or very selfish. You have a better, best heavenly father that you can talk to and find anywhere and at any place. And at any time. When you're alone with him. He will not leave you. He will not abuse you. He will not treat you severely. He is full of grace and mercy and welcomes you into His office and wants to hear your heart. If we thought more about that, I think we would pray more often. Pray to your Father, it says, who is in secret, and your Father, verse 6, who sees in secret, will reward you. 
the secret place, right? And this often may not be a physical, literal place, although I believe that should be the case in your life, but the secret place of your heart, that is the attitude of removing distractions and focusing on your Father. That's what He sees. That's what He's interested in. That's when He's really listening. He's attentive and incentivized to answer your prayer. Now, again, when you think about the reward, the Father who sees in secret will reward you. What could your imagination come up with that the creator of the universe, sustainer and sovereign God over all things, and the one who will bring all things to completion through the second coming of his son, the restoration of all creation, and eternity of bliss and life in heaven, what do you think your reward is? Is there anything in this world that compares with what your heavenly, benevolent, good, sovereign creator, God, can give you? He will go beyond even what you can imagine, what you can ask for, and what you can think. Ephesians talks about that. He will reward you. And so seek His reward, not the recognition and reward from this earth. That's the first comparison. Let's look at the second comparison here. Mindless prayer versus sincere prayer. Mindless prayer versus sincere prayer. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Gentiles, kind of an umbrella term for any non-Jew. This is how the Jews considered outside ethnicities and nations. They were pagans. Pagans. So Jesus is saying, don't pray like the pagans do with repetitious, mindless jabbering. The word in the Greek, bata logeo, it means to stammer, to speak without thinking, often Repeatedly using the same words, it's mindless talking. How often do we do this with our prayer lingo? We have prayer lingo, don't we? Phrases and words that we just throw into prayer and we kind of mindlessly do it because we've been taught that. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Why does all our, every single prayer we have start with thank you for this day? Are we really thankful for the day? Or is it just an intro, right, to get us to the next sentence? Bless this food. Bless the hands that prepared it. Keep them safe. Place a hedge of protection around them. Lord, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. Not that some of those phrases are wrong or words are wrong. I mean, those are good, but are they just recited mindlessly? I learned this prayer before I went to bed and prayed it probably a hundred, maybe thousands of times. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, have you thought about what that prayer is? And why am I praying it as a child? Am I expecting to suddenly die in my sleep as a five or a six-year-old? Are there robbers and, I don't know, so many, if I die before I wake, Lord, take my soul, take me to heaven. I just mindlessly repeated and said that prayer because I learned it when I was a child. 
Now, we have prayer lingo or, or mindless phrases that we throw up, but this is especially prevalent in pagan religions and outside religions and cults. I mean, you have the compassionate Buddha prayer, which is often said in meditation in the Buddhist religion. Om mami padmiham. Om mani padmiham. Om mani padmiham. And they repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Which really means, hail to the jewel in the lotus. Don't even know what a lotus is. I think it's a flower. How many of you are familiar with this one? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, or Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And repeat, and repeat, and repeat through the rosary. Why do people do this? Why, why have these chants or, or rote prayers been invented? Jesus tells us why. Look down at the text, verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. They've got the philosophy that if you throw enough mud at the wall, some of it will stick. But directed to heaven. If you throw enough prayers up there, God is going to hear them. God rewards these rote, mindless prayers. But He does not. Does God listen to mindless babble? No, He doesn't. He says, do not be like them. Do not be like them. Don't pray that way. Here's the other side. Sincere prayer, rather. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He can see your heart. He knows that it's mindless. He knows that it's just rote. That there is no sincerity in your heart. Rather, we should pray sincerely. Now, some read this verse, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And they say, well... If God knows what I need, then why should I pray? Have you ever thought that? I've thought that sincerely. If God knows what I need, He's sovereign over everything, He knows my heart, then why do I even need to talk to Him? Why can't He just see into my heart and answer my desires or requests? In this question, we miss the essence of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we miss the essence of prayer. Prayer is an expression of trust. Trust. You know, I know that my toddler, I can see him from across the room, I know that he needs help fixing his toy. He's struggling over there, frustrated, trying to fix his little robot or his Lego, whatever he's playing with. I know it. I can see him. But I want him to know and him to act on the reality that he can come to me and ask me for help. I want him to come over. I want him to trust me. I want him to think first, you know, let me ask my dad. Because my dad cares for me. He can fix this. I trust him with my troubles. I could easily intervene and just go and fix the toy because I see him struggling. But rather, as a father, I want to see him come to me and trust me to fix the problem. Seems kind of, you know, small with toys, but a lot more important later in life, right? When we're, you're not fixing toys anymore, you're fixing broken relationships. You're fixing addictions, maybe. And you're trying to help your child grow. 
You want to be a father that he can trust, that he comes to quickly when he runs into trouble. John Calvin has this quote. He says, Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him, or of exciting him to do his duty, or of urging him as though he were reluctant. No, on the contrary, believers pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves of their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom in a word that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect and trust, both for themselves and for others, all good things. Prayer is the ultimate expression of trust. God knows what you need, but that shouldn't prevent you from coming to Him. Rather, that should encourage you to run to Him. Because He sees your heart. He sees your needs. He knows what you need before you even ask Him. So don't babble. Don't stammer. Don't put on a show. Don't waste words. Pray sincerely. Pray sincerely. Your heart is an open book to Him. And what you do in prayer is that you take that book and you place it in His hands and you read to Him from the pages. God, here it is. You know my heart. This is what I want. This is at least what I think I want. Can you help me know what I really want? What I really need? Read me and know me, God. It's the relational aspect of prayer. I trust You with my life. I trust You with that which is most precious, which is my desires, my affections, my, my heart. That's how we ought to approach prayer. Not like we're trying to hide things from God. Not like we're acting like He doesn't already know what's going on in our life. But bringing our life to Him like an open book. God, read from these pages. Let me tell you what they say. And you're affirming, your heart is affirming with His that He knows you. And He sees you through and through. Sincere prayers. Psalm 145.18 says this, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. In truth. With sincerity. With, with integrity of heart. He's not near to the performer, to the play actor, to the hypocrite, to the babbler, to the stammerer, or to the liar. He's near to the one who prays in truth. The one who prays sincerely. This is the heart of prayer. It is a child running to their father and trusting him with all their life. And this is what Jesus goes after in these verses. The heart of prayer. The heart of a child trusting their father and going to him with all the concerns, joys, needs in their life. Is this your heart in prayer? Is it sincere? Is it focused and private? Is it to the Father or to others? Considering the heart of prayer, this what we're looking at this week and uh, next week, going to look at the form of prayer in the Lord's Prayer. 
Which again, even the Lord's Prayer can be used wrongly, right? If you just kind of pray it mindlessly, memorized, and kind of go through it like a Hail Mary. No, we want to be sincere with every word that we pray. But Jesus provides great structure to what our prayers could look like. And so it's kind of the content or the form of prayer. We're going to look at that next week. This week we're just focusing on the heart. I want to give you practical helps, okay? Practical helps to God-pleasing prayer. Prayer from a genuine heart, okay? So write these things down. Number one, schedule prayer. Schedule prayer. You schedule your meetings, your appointments, your phone calls maybe, your conversations in your calendar. Why not schedule your prayer? Why not schedule the heavenly meeting, the heavenly appointment? Your heavenly conversation, heaven's call. I encourage you to do so in the same time every day. And I encourage you to give God your best time, not your worst time. Maybe you are tired after a long day of work, and when you get home, you're tending to the family, and after that, you just want to rush to bed. Maybe that's not the best time to pray, because your mind is like an onion. It just won't work, right? And so you need to rest. Um, Onions don't work, do they? Um, It's mush. If your mind is sharpest in the morning, then give God your morning. If you go, man, you know, I'm kind of rushed in the morning. I have to get off to work. Well, is it dark outside still? The Lord Jesus was up before light while it was still dark giving His Father His time. If your mind is sharpest in the morning, give Him the morning. If you are, well, if your brain's an onion in the morning, then give Him your sharp mind at night. Some of you, you're night people or morning, a morning person. But if you're sharper at night, if you're able to spend good, focused time with the Lord at night, then pray at night. But schedule the time. Make it a routine of your day. The most important priority is your talk with God. It was, uh, I believe, J.C. Ryle or Martin Lloyd, one of the two. I've been reading both in preparation for prayer. One of them said, um, talk to God before you talk to the world. And then talk to Him after you talk to the world. Make Him the capstones the end, the bookends of your day. Schedule your prayer. Number two, pick a place to pray. Pick a place to pray. Pick a place that is free from distractions, that is free from people, literally. Get them out or go away to a place where you can be free. Maybe that's in the car for you on a commute to and from work. Maybe that's in your office before the workday starts or during a lunch break. Maybe it is in your actual room or your actual closet because that's the only quiet place. Maybe moms, it's, it's during a nap time. You have a moment to get away and pray. Maybe it's during a walk. Maybe you're walking the kids. Your kids are young enough. They sit in the stroller and they're happy and content, but you can walk and pray. Find that place of privacy, away from distractions, where you can focus and give your heart to your Father. 
Number three, pause before you pray. Pause before you pray. I'd encourage you to do so in the private place and in the public place. Sometimes, even in a small group, you've got to stop to shut your mind off from distractions or from people around you. So pause. Don't rush into it with your mind not right and your heart not ready. Collect your thoughts. Pause and then start. Even if it seems awkward. Even if there's a little silence before you start to pray. It's not about the people around you, right? Who cares if it's awkward? It's about you talking to your Father. So if you need to pause and collect your mind and collect your thoughts, do so. That would be helpful so that you don't start your prayers with babbling, not knowing what you're really saying. Number four, read before you pray. Read before you pray. And what I mean by read is Scripture reading. Sometimes you need to fill your mind with God's truth so that you're praying with the truth. George Mueller shared about how formerly he used to wander in prayer for the first 10 minutes. He'd describe it as wandering. He said, I was just wandering with my words. I couldn't focus. I couldn't get to good content. And then he started reading the Scriptures before he prayed. And he described the result this way. Listen to his quote. He said, I scarcely suffer now in this way, wandering. For my heart, being nourished by the truth, being brought into fellowship with God, I speak to my Father and to my friend about the things that He brought before me in His Word. It often astonishes me that I didn't see this sooner. Read the Scripture before you pray. Enrich your prayers by meditating on God's Word. It could be a phrase from the Psalms that gets your heart to heaven. Let God speak to you before you speak to Him. When you feel like you have nothing to say, fill your mind with His words and speak those. So, schedule your prayer. Pick a place to pray. Pause before you pray. Read before you pray. Number five, write what you pray. Write what you pray. Journaling your prayers is helpful. You'll remember and you can track when God answers each prayer. Specifically. And then you can praise Him. You can praise Him for all the answered prayer in your life. You can praise Him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I mean, if you log your prayers and you go back and read through them, you're amazed. You're blown away. Oh my goodness, He answered this specifically and directly. Thank you. Praise you, God. Often, though, what happens is that we'll pray something and then we forget in the next 10 minutes what we prayed for. And when God answers that prayer... We don't give him any credit. So we act as if it's like a normal part of our day. When God was specifically answering that prayer. So it's helpful to write what you pray, to journal your prayers during your prayer time. Finally, sixth point. Keep your prayer short and sincere. Short and sincere. What do I mean by that? Don't use colorful language lest you use it to try to impress people around you. Don't over-explain yourself to God. He knows. Don't go into some theological essay like you're teaching God what He wrote. Don't monopolize prayer meetings because you count your prayers as more significant than others. 
Don't repeat yourself over and over again like a broken record because you don't know what else to say. Just stop praying. Don't pray just to fill time. It's not a time filler. Far be it that prayer is a time filler, right? Fill time with something else. Go to God. Tell Him what's on your heart, simply and plainly. Don't beat around the bush. Don't wax eloquent. And what you'll find is that your prayers will probably be shorter. And that's okay. The Lord's Prayer is not very long. The church would benefit, wouldn't we, from shorter prayers, but that prayers were insincere. Sorry, not insincere, but sincere. That we were coming to God with with what's on our heart and not saying anything more or anything less. Don't pray to fill time. Don't pray because you feel like it's something that you have to do. Better to keep silent, better to keep the prayer short than to babble, stammer, or begin to think about what other people think of you. That's not the point of prayer. So there's just some practical helps to keeping God-pleasing prayer, to have a genuine heart in prayer. Schedule your prayers. Pick a place to pray. Pause before you pray. Read before you pray. Write what you pray. And then keep your prayer short and sincere. Next week, we will look at the content of the prayer. What should we pray? Jesus is going to tell us, in the Lord's Prayer. Now, I want to end with just this very important point. We know that the only way it is possible for us to pray, the only way it's possible for us to speak to a holy God, our Heavenly Father, is through the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through who? Him. Just like our Scripture reading reminded us in Hebrews 4.16, Jesus is the door of access into the throne room of grace, into relationship with God our Father. J.C. Ryle writes, the name of Jesus is like a never-failing passport for our prayers. In that name, a person can draw near to God with boldness and ask with confidence. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Go down to 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Do you have the passport? Have you passed through this door? Do you know Christ? And as a result then, know the Father and are able to sincerely talk with Him. You know, some people imagine angels guarding the gates of heaven. And that when you die and show up to the gates of heaven one day, you're going to be talking to like Michael, the archangel, or whoever, angel, the gatekeeper, right? And that the angels are the ones who either let you in or they turn you away. I don't think you'll meet angels at the door of heaven or at the gate. You're going to meet one person. It's Jesus Christ. Do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with Him? Is He going to recognize you? He knows His sheep. He also knows those who are goats and sends them away. Do you know Christ? If you don't know Christ, then you don't have access to this throne room to pray sincerely. You don't know God. 
Run to Christ today if you don't know God. Run to Christ today if all your prayers have been hypocritical, just forms, wrote religious exercises. Run to Christ so that you might know God and pray sincerely and talk to Him and have access to this good, benevolent, wonderful Father. And if you do have Christ, if you do know God, then why are you not in this throne room more often? Go to Him often. Go to Him privately. And go to Him sincerely. May we be people that pray. That trust God and depend upon Him with all our lives. Let's pray. Father God, I just give my words to You and ask that by Your Spirit You would work in the hearts of our people. I pray that You would remind us more often to pray and that we would encourage each other to do so. Place that burden on our hearts that we would not forget to pray amidst the busyness of life, the distractions, and everything else. Our phones, social media. Gosh, there are so many distractions that keep us from talking to You, Father. And I just ask that You'd remove those things from our lives. If necessary, radically removing all temptation so that we would just come to You and pray. God, as people, we need You. We're nothing by ourselves. And and God... uh, we would do well to talk with you more often and to get away and pray more often. Could be the most productive part of our day is to talk with you and get our heart right with you, God. So I ask that you'd encourage us in that this week. I just pray for anybody here who doesn't truly know Christ, who hasn't walked through the door of salvation, Jesus Christ. They don't know the good shepherd. They don't know the mediator. They don't know the high priest, the the God-man who can make a way for us sinners to know the Father, holy God. I pray that they would run to Christ today. They would believe wholeheartedly that He came and that He died and that He rose again to provide a way of salvation for us, to forgive us of our sins and to make us right with You. And... um, that they would enjoy access to the throne of grace and mercy and that they would experience that even today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.